Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Accounting Seed, Tony Zork. Tony has presented numerous talks on his notion of an iconoclast, an individual who looks at conventional ways of doing things and then who dares to break the mold. And Tony is nothing less than such an iconoclast himself. After graduating with a degree in accounting and traveling back and forth across the Pacific for numerous positions, Tony returned to America with a respectable resume under his belt. Still, Tony was frustrated. At every position he held, he felt that accounting technology was not up to snuff with the needs of a globalized market. When Tony discovered Salesforce, the accounting seed was planted in his mind. Today, Tony's company offers robust accounting solutions based entirely in the cloud. Last year, it ranked on the Inc. 5000 with a growth of 87% over three years. Accounting Seed now boasts over 15,000 licenses sold, with Tony's books and talks about his experience in the field attracting massive interest. Accounting Seed is growing like crazy, so Tony, my friend, let's get into it. Thank you for being here today. Drew, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So again, that was our take on your uh, origin story, but in your own words, how did we get here today? Yeah, so I started, um, I, you know, I got out of school. I, if I go back to, you know, how, how did I get into accounting? I, um, you know, was in school in college and taking business classes. And I thought accounting was really interesting because there was a lot of important decisions made off of this stuff, like stuff, you know, that it drove the stock market and those type of things. And then, you know, folks were like, oh, you like accounting? No one likes that stuff. Uh, if you like it, you should go into that because no one wants to do that. It's super boring. I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll give that a shot. And sure enough, you know, when I decided to major in accounting, there were three CPA firms ready to hire me out of school. There was tons of jobs. You know, it, it was great. So um, and, and it was very connected to business. So I had a, I found I had a passion for it, strangely enough. Um, and then uh, worked, you know, I got my CPA certificate, worked in uh you know, work my way up the corporate ladder as an accountant. And then finally decided that I was really, what I was, I actually didn't um, like doing kind of the repetitive nature of counting. I wanted computers to do that for me. And so I really got fascinated with the technology side. And around uh, 2008, um, I had a business selling and consulting on um, Microsoft uh, mid-market products. And I had a, like six customers in a row come to me and they're like, hey, we're using this other thing called salesforce.com for our sales and quoting and service. And we need that to talk to a, the accounting app. Can you wire those up and make them work? And, you know, I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't know anything about this Salesforce thing. Like, um, what's that? And they're like, Oh, it's this other thing we're using, you know, we're, we kind of run the front office and the mid office on this other thing, but then the back office is kind of this thing in its own, it's siloed back here. And we just need someone to, to make these things talk to each other. I'm like, well, all right. So after a while, I 
decided, you know, that I had like six customers in a row asking the same thing. I'm like, what is going on with this Salesforce thing? Like, what is this? So, so I went back to that first customer. I'm like, I got a bunch of people asking for this. So let me, I'll, I'll do this, but you're going to be paying me to learn. Is that okay? They're like, yeah, we can't find anyone else to do this or knows our system. We'll, 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 that's fine. So I went in and I got into this Salesforce stack and realized, oh my God, this is not a CRM system. This is a full bore computing stack. And I've been writing custom programs, doing custom reports. I'd learned to code, be kind of a hack coder, hack developer. And I'm like, oh my God, I should just build a counting system on this thing. Cause then everything will be on one platform. There's no integrations. Cause it's just this ama amazingly painful thing to have to sync all these systems. And now the bane of all organizations from an IT perspective is this kind of spaghetti uh, where of connecting all these systems that don't talk to each other and knocking out finance and having that run on with operations and sales is a huge game changer. It just, it just simplifies so many things. So it just makes so much sense. It's just kind of a common sense. So I started the company, started writing the app and yeah, it just, it just took off right away and um, no capital, no nothing started it. I started selling this thing out of my car on my lunch break. Um, and in, in, the, in the summer in Maryland where it was hot as hell in there, I'm like trying to do conference calls in this 90, hundred degree car, right. On my lunch break, you know, it was awful, but it, it worked out. It, it worked out great and got nothing, but nothing, but, uh, you know, things to be thankful for and been very blessed along the way. Yeah. So in those early days, what were, what were the most challenging things you had to figure out or overcome? Oh my God, Drew, to, to me, the, what the leader of any organization, but especially at kind of a young incubator uh, level, the leader of any organization is really the following job. It is find what is holding the company back from leveling up, find, you know, get a solution to that, overcome it, then ask that question again. And then when you ask that question again, it's always something different. So it's, adaptation it is finding the weakest link and it is is going up now I've, I've, I've found along the way when I'm doing this um, you have to be you have to also from a like a, a, an, a CEO health perspective if you're always focusing on the thing that's bad you, you can get really cynical about your own business so what I try to do now is every time I find that next thing bad I ask the question okay what's going really well? and then go and congratulate those people at the same time in my organization. So I've got the yin and the yang kind of together. But to me, it's, it's, it's always asking that question, what is holding back the company now? I'm gonna go you know, fix that and solve a plan, create a plan to make that, fix that and let's go up and then ask that question again. Can you give it a specific example uh, of that in the, somewhere in the early years of, of, of when you ask that question, which by the way, I love, I love that question. That's so helpful for a founder to hear that that's a framework to be, to be looking yeah. at the company through. What was an example of something you saw? Oh, this is what's holding the company back from growing. And what did you end up finding out was the solution to help you guys get through that? Gosh, well, yeah, the first thing is I had this, you know, I started this company. Uh, the first thing is I didn't have any, you know, service department. I had to hire somebody to support the, the customers. And then you know, it, I was trying to sell this thing and code it at the same time. I would, and, and I was like a terrible developer, right? Like I'm, 
you know, uh, it, with the people we have today, they would be like, no, you're sorry, you're, you're, don't call, please don't call yourself a developer. Like that's insulting to us. You know, like I could, you know, put together, you know, a, an object model and some string codes and some basic commands, right? And so then it was not having a real development department, right? And having real developers on staff and then not having testing, not having backup and then not having good marketing and not having uh, good onboarding. So it's just constantly changing, but those, those are definitely things in, in the beginning. Um, you know, I can tell you now we're, we're um, the thing holding us back lately has been um, having strong uh, cu customer service reps and account management, which we haven't had, we've added, added those. And, um, you know, it's just always something different, but we'll solve that and then go ask the question again. So, oh, I love that. Totally makes sense. Well, I want to ask what, when you say our current challenge is service reps and account management, what size is the company at now? Like you did a great job of, of almost remembering by recall the different challenges in sequential yeah. order. And I'm always fascinated at the different challenges based on the size or the stage or like season of a company, right? So yeah. help us understand the season and the size of the company you're at now and connecting that to the current challenge. Does that make yeah, sense? We're, we're about 60 employees, 9 million in revenue. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at now. We're, we're, we're over, um, over a thousand customers, over 15,000 users. Um, so we, you know, that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. So that's the time where in, at 60 employees, you're starting to see the amount, the volume of customers you have versus the size team you have is maybe straining uh, the ability to, to always service uh, the customer at the, at the, the level that you are used to and acquired when you were a little smaller and you had less customers. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think it's all about scale. I actually created a rap video um, to, I'm also drew the, I proclaim to be the first ever accounting rapper. Um, Let's go. Rapper handle, by the way, is TZ money. So if you go onto YouTube and type in TZ money, you can see my rap video, but it, <laughs> but it's all about scale. My accounting rap is called accounting scale, scale, scale. And funny enough, we're in the mid market. So a lot of our customers are trying to scale with our app and then we're trying to scale as well. So I'm like, oh, this is like the surrounding theme, you know? So it, it, it is about scaling um, our resources. We're trying to, um, you know, one of your questions you've asked is like, what's your, what's your BHAG? And I'm like, I actually just wrote a book where I'm anti-BHAG. I specifically say I don't like BHAGs in there. Wow. I'm all about incrementally leveling up. I'm all about applying this. I don't know if you know much about the agile method. Yes. Uh, development, but the agile method says, hey, let's not do BHAGs. What are we doing in the next two weeks? two weeks, two weeks, two weeks at a time. That's where I'm at. That's makes sense. And I'm very against kind of this BHAG thing. Although I will say in the big picture, my BHAG is to have 3000 customers by 2025. We have over a thousand now. So I want to, you know, triple our size, but th this whole, like, you know, that's just a dream, right? And the, it comes down to these two week sprints, three week sprints. That's where you want to be. You don't want to be doing these kind of, that's just a dream, right? Otherwise, yeah. BHAGs are dreams. You know, what's, yeah. what are you doing in the next two weeks towards that? Yeah. In the next three weeks. And well, you can, you can correct more. me. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, it sounds like we're just looking at different parts of it, right? So the, the dream is like kind of what's setting your course currently, and that can always change, right? Yeah. 
but it's saying like, that's the direction we're going. 3000 customers. We, we'd like to be there in this amount of time. But what you're saying is you, you were, you really want to prioritize focusing on the actual execution in the short term yeah. and having that rapid learning as you go, which is what I love yeah. around scrum and agile methodology and that right. kind of thing. Yeah. You should be applying this to every aspect of your business. What are we doing in the next two weeks? What are we doing in the next two weeks? The CEO, I think, needs to paint that vision. Hey, here's where we're going. We're traveling from New York to Los Angeles, right? But we can only see 200 feet in front of us at a time because it's the middle of the night and we're, we're, we have our high beams on, right? You know, yeah. and, and it's what are we doing in the next 200 feet? You know, that matters. And as long as the vision sound, hey, we know we're we're going to Los Angeles. Okay, we got we got to cross this bridge. We got to turn right here, and and to me, the CEO needs to paint that destination. But then along the way, it's what is the plan now? What, yeah. are, what are we doing right now? I love that. Well, tell me tell me more about your book, the the around the iconoclasm. Tell me about what what's in that. What's the content? Yeah. So the, an iconoclast is someone who does three things. They challenge the existing paradigm. They design a plan that's better and then they execute it. So the, the fusion of those three things. So it's a challenge, design, execute combination. And I partnered with Forbes Books on this. Um, it, it's been a really exciting book. I wrote this because I think the pandemic, um, and my book is a, a post-pandemic survival guide, right? Because a couple things that really I felt like, God, I really want to write this book that was compelling me to write the book. So one is that it was so, it's so apparent in our society that there's a cost to putting um, messages out on in the public in, in this, in the, you know, general airwaves. And because there's a cost to that, most of the messaging out there is by corporations trying to sell you a product. It's by, um, nonprofits trying to get you to donate to their cause. It's by politicians trying to get you to vote a certain way. There's basically no commercial value for you to think for yourself and design a plan that helps you. And the pandemic just absolutely widely revealed this, that people were not thinking for themselves and they were just letting the, the opposite of a, an iconoclast is what I call a drone. It's someone who just lets, lets another person think for them. And that was happening in mass and in, in, you know, everywhere. So I feel like that was really important. There's never been a better time. The other thing is um, there's never been a better time to challenge the existing way of doing things than the pandemic has you know, presented to us. Everything's changing. And I talk about dynamics in my book. Dynamics are these major underlying forces that are changing. And you know, the, the, the pandemic's just opened up all these things. So, so an iconoclast loves opportunity, Drew. They love it and they thrive on it. And there's just never been a better uh, opportunity. I just heard the term um, COVIDpreneur uh, bounced off of me. Like an entrepreneur during COVID, like what a great term, right? That's, yes. that's um, you know, so I think those two reasons I wanted to write the book and it, I've been uh, doing well. I got an Amazon bestseller status uh, actually last week on it. Let's so go. Yeah. Man, congratulations. Thank you. What is, what is your biggest hope for, for the reader? My biggest hope for the reader is that they adopt this mindset of challenge, design, execute. I mean, I, I, it's connected. There's a lot of business examples because my 
experience has been being a business person and an entrepreneur. But I use the same formula to I apply it to exercise, apply it to my diet, I apply it to my marriage. It's it's a habit of thinking that will enable a better you and a better society overall. Um, so my biggest goal is that people form this habit of questioning why things are the way they are, challenging that, designing a better way if there's a better way and executing that. And, and it could be a, a mom trying to better educate her toddler on, you know, uh, growing up or, you know, a, a, a programmer trying to better code something could be anything, but it's that habit of thinking that I think can be so powerful if people adopt it. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it's, it's the habit of asking the question or a series of questions, but at least the question, is there a better way than this? Is that, is that, part of it it's, it's those three things it's yeah. really those three things and i differentiate in the book between an iconoclast an entrepreneur a philanthropist an inventor um all of those things because they are different but it's an iconoclast is really those three things because you can be someone who um i'm challenging these things all the time and i can even design stuff i i i, I even mentioned the book like i go to cocktail parties all the time and I've met, this has got to be in the thousands where I've met other entrepreneurs or people working at companies that are like, oh, I have a great idea. It's this. And, you know, it's, it's, that's great that you have an idea, but it's not till you execute, right? That it, 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 otherwise it's just an idea. So it's those three things. It's, it's challenging something, then designing it, then executing. There's a bunch of people who will challenge uh, this. And then there's a bunch of people who will challenge and actually design a, a, a different way. But then there's, it's the iconoclast is the three things, the challenge design and the execute. It comes down to, I call it, you know, time for the showdown. It's like the old West, you know, uh, showdown where you're walking out. It's like, are you going to go, are you going to go? And you know, it's when it's time for the showdown, you know, that's when a lot of people cop out, man, what a timely message. I think you, you hit the nail on the head on what I feel. And so many have, have feel, felt, has been there for a while, but it's definitely peaked. It has definitely um, been exaggerated or highlighted is that drone kind of thinking where oh, yeah. we've never been more seemingly divided and, and, and just kind of mindless rhetoric and uh, tribal thinking and that kind of thing. What can be done? Well, Drew, and, and I think it's because I think the internet has really enabled this, right? Because you can just camp out in the feel good uh, message that you kind of like, right? And you can just camp out, you can have like 12 media sources just feeding you there and amping you up, right? Like the echo really, chambers. Yeah, so so what you really need to be doing is going to the opposing, seeking out the opposing view, listening to that content, and then looking at these sources like advisors and then making the best decision for yourself and the people that you impact, right? And I think that's, to me, I cover this kind of first chapter of the of pandemic is that we actually had a panic attack as a nation, which, you know, isn't actually is not unfounded and not ridiculous given the situation of how sure. unprepared we were, right? But we did, we did panic. And then, you know, I, I look at this like... Um, I look at this like tornadoes and hurricanes, like a natural disaster. I look at the pandemic in a similar vein. Whereas like I grew up in the Midwest in Chicago area and I live on the East coast now in Maryland. And we have categorization systems for hurricanes 
and tornadoes from one to five, right? So like if it's a one, you know, for a tornado or a hurricane, it's like, yeah, I'm going to still go out. You know, I'm going to be cautious, but I'll go strap, you know, I'm going to bring the yard furniture in and I'll try to cut my drive short, that type of thing. If it's a category five, you're like, no way in hell am I going out? You know, no, I'm sticking down, right? So with this pandemic, if think if we rated this thing from a one to five, you know, we would have a such a better, um, you know, idea of what to do and can make better personal decisions. And it was clear to me, I had really good friends who thought this was like a one. This is nothing. This is a hoax, right? And then the other people like, this is a five. Do not yes. go out unless you have a spacesuit. You're going to kill somebody if you go out, right? And just it's it just so extreme. And, and, and the reality is it was somewhere probably in the middle, right? And unscientifically speaking, I don't know. Maybe it's a two. I don't know. Yep. But it was just that people, you know. And then we never adjusted. Like, yeah. And, and we never adjusted from what we thought it was going to be either on the under under underestimating or the overestimating it's like we never we never about like said okay so here's where it is and now let's have an yeah, adult we conversation never, we never came to an occlusion what it was i think in i think in a few years we will and have better information but we never concluded on what it was and then people are just like yeah i th- believe it's a one i believe it's a five no you're an idiot no you're an idiot you know and and just like yelling at each other is all, all we've done you know yes and, and, and i think you know if you take if people took more time to understand the opposing view and then also i think one of the things that i've been blessed with as being an entrepreneur is understanding the concept of risk reward relationship and with this pandemic it was so clear that that's like absent so you know at a certain point you just have subscribed to a re- risk reward relationship. It was amazing to me, some of the people who are most afraid and most hold up and like they actually had very little risk um, because they're knowledge workers and they didn't even need to, uh, you know, leave their house to interact with much people. And they're like the most afraid and most locked down, right? And, And then you have the opposite, like the kids partying out there, like, you know, who should be concerned, you know, right. are, you know, and, and are like, Oh, you know, um, I'm young. It won't matter to me, you know? And I mean, it, it, yeah, it's just crazy. Wow. Well, let's go back to, uh, the stage of scale that you guys are at. I think so many of the founders will find this interesting as well. Structurally, what I seem to hear and see is right around that size, let's say 40, 50, 60, somewhere around there. Often a new layer of leadership is emerging that like, we've now gotten beyond the capacity of a senior leadership team or just a supervisor. And we've got like maybe first time managers starting to, to emerge. Is that around the stage you guys are at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been, we just started, uh, um, you know, we just, my, I hired a, a heavy VP of finance, right. Which I'm an accountant and I took pride on using my product myself for all the years and thought, you know, one of your questions that you ask, you, you ask everyone is, um, what's one of the best things, you know, you've done for your organization or, or, or and it's been use our product and be, wow. be the person that uses our product, right? It's been one of the best things ever. And I'm like, no, I'm going to give that to someone else. I want to, I want to hold on to it, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's we're, we're too big. I've got to focus on bigger things and trust that someone else can do it. And, and so we hired a, a VP of finance to run our, you know, instance. Um, and, you know, we're an accounting um, 
you know, we're an accounting application, accounting platform company. So I'm really excited about the guy we chose, but yeah, we're, we're doing that th- the same in other, a lot of other areas of the business. What's the biggest challenge of that new, that new leadership emerging or the need to delegate so that you can keep elevating with the company? Like wh- what are you experiencing as the challenge right now? I think personally, it's like getting over the heart attack of the investment of those people and recognizing too, as an owner, like some of these people are going to be making more money than me. Um, but you know, I, I, it is my company and my equity in the long run, but being okay with that and then trusting that investment, right. These, these C-level people are very expensive, uh, but they're also high performing, right. So in, in their, in their required, but it's getting, getting over that, you know, heart attack of what's this going to cost. And wait, we're, you know, and, uh, I think too, um, Drew, there's a whole mentality of startup that it's just around the, what's the best I can afford? What's the best I can afford? Right. Cause you're bootstrapped or cash strapped, but along the way, and I think it, for us, it was probably, um, even like at the 5 million mark, um, where we could have, uh, got a lot more capital without even going, getting like out private equity and stuff involved. There's just other, you know, you can get money from your bank. You can get money from uh, companies that do alternative financing stuff. So I, it, 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 along the way um, opportunities came, but I think, it, it, you know, that, that, that habit of, you know, that, that bad habit, which I, as an iconoclast, I should have recognized and didn't, which is, um, you know, what's the best I can afford and, and then breaking out of that mindset. No, we're a real business. We have customers, we're growing. I trust in this. I can take on some, a little bit of debt and, you know, pay people and, and grow that way. Um, so so I think, you would have, you would have done that earlier is what you're saying? Yeah. I would have done that way earlier than I did way earlier. Like, like, you know, the company's been around a solid 10 years. It was about, it was like a part-time thing for me for about two years. So we've been around 12 years kind of totally. Uh, but I would have done that uh, probably about five years ago and in, 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 in hindsight and trusted that. So that's interesting. You would have done it five years ago, but not 10 years ago, right? Yeah, so exactly. There is a time that's too early, right? There is a time that's too early, right? Because your proof of concept, you're getting in. If it's a pure startup like ours was starting from nothing, you know, it does make sense to kind of, do best you can afford, uh, and, and, you know, as you're prototyping, getting it ready, say getting those out of the thousand customers, you know, um, getting, you, you know, those first 300, maybe you're in there, but then, you know, you've got something and they're sticking around and you've got valid feedback and trust in your product, trust in your growth. And um, yeah, be willing to take the chances there. Hire, we should have, I should have hired all the executives we are earlier, you know, um, it's interesting. Uh, that, that reminds me of a question that uh, I, I don't always ask, but I do like to when I, when I remember, when I see it on my list. Uh, there was a book called The Road Less Stupid, which I love. <laughs> it's a fantastic title. But it's <laughs> like basically the road a, less traveled. Ever, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it, the, basically it was a guy that started a bunch of companies, been really successful, but he's also had a lot of costly mistakes, right? And so the idea was, could I pass along some wisdom to help your road be a little less stupid, right? Yeah. And I just like uh, getting to talk to founders like this. I know we all have had to figure it out as we go, which means there's going to be some costly mistakes, whether personally, emotionally, or financially. And so I'm just wondering for you, what 
is something you would pass along to uh, the other founders and the, the entrepreneurs is like, man, if possible, avoid this. This is a costly mistake that I or we made. Yeah. And I actually, um, I really subscribe to that mentality. I call it leading with your brokenness. Um, and I think you just, you can help people so much more when you let down and, you know, they realize you're human and they're not like, you're not trying to be something on a pedestal. Right. Yeah. And so I, 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 I talk about like my, my, my book, Iconoclasm is also kind of a litany of my sins in there too. So <laughs> I, I, I let that all out there too. Um, but I think, you know, one of the worst things that, you know, I've done um, and, and I feel like I've just led me astray with big heaping rewards is, is I would have, you know, I'd be at that stage, I'd be doing my job saying, okay, this is holding the company back. Let's go fix this, right? And what I should have been doing is applying this, this iconoclasm formula, challenging maybe the way we're doing it, uh, designing a better way and executing it. But instead, I didn't trust my own instincts and I would go hire a consultant uh, and they would be a sales consultant or an operations consultant or a de development consultant. And that consult I would tell that consultant, okay, here's the situation. This is the way it is. And all the time they would say, okay, well, I'm going to design a plan to be successful given your situation. And they would, you know, come out with something and it would just, it was just awful because that we would spend a bunch of money. It wouldn't work. And the reality is that we had outgrown the old way of doing it and they just didn't want to, or they didn't have the guts or didn't think to, to tell us that. Right. Yeah. And we didn't challenge the way we were doing it. And that's what I'm trying to instill in my company is we're a fast growing company, you know, 30% of the company wasn't there, you know, 18 months ago, we're hiring, we're trying to hire 20 more people this year and don't be, sitting there being like, oh, we got to engineer the solution based on how we're doing it now. It, it, that's crazy. Let's rethink it. Let's challenge the way we're doing it. And I feel like that the lack of, uh, of that has led to our biggest mistakes, take us further off course, spent, wasted the most money. Um, Makes total sense. Yeah. Why, don't, design, don't design for the present when we're trying to actually move towards the future is kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, well, it, 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 exactly. And don't design based on how we're doing it or the things I'm complaining. I'm complaining about our problems now, right? But it's okay. Well, why do we have those problems? And should we, you know, should we rethink the whole equation here? Not just, okay, let's create a solution for those problems that you're having now. Typically, you know, it's amazing to me. I had this really, I had a really good friend and he was complaining about this, this pain in his shoulder, right? He's like had this horrible debilitating shoulder pain. And then, um, so he went to a chiropractor and the chiropractor was like, okay, I know the problem, it's in your foot. Um, let's go down your foot. And you know, they, they pushed up on the foot and everything's like, whoa, okay, yeah, wow, that fixed my shoulder. It, you, you, but you worked on my foot, right? And it was just, it's such a crazy story. That's so true in the business world. It's like, yeah. you're complaining about this, maybe this HR problem or this sales problem, but the reality is you've got this other totally broken thing driving that and you're not addressing that, right? You're, you're just kind of trying to 
topically treat the area affected and not looking at the underlying drivers. At, again, why is it that way? Really asking that question. And I think yeah. that's so key. And that's why I'm, what I'm trying to get my, uh, you know, employees to do as well. Oh, I love that. It reminds me of, uh, I can't remember what, what it's exactly called, but you asked the question why like five or six times to get, <laughs> You, you, it's, it's so yeah. frustrating if you're yeah. if you're the one being asked the question yeah but it's like hey our sales sucks why <laughs> because our people don't know what they're doing why yeah because we don't know how to train them why and like it's like only take it's like the, the fifth or the sixth layer yeah the turnover is high why because we're not comping them at market why because we don't we're not pricing the product that way why because we don't think we're going to be competitive you know why well, wait a minute. Actually, we have features now. We should probably up the price and pay those people. Okay, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, it's so yeah. interesting. But you, we usually stop like one layer deep. And then, like yeah. I said, we, we attack that. After the first why, we go, oh, there it is. Let's go there. Yes. Instead of keeping going. Is that right? It, it, that's exactly right, Drew. And, and, and what I was trying to say with those consultants is they would like engineer the second why, right? Which would yes. be like, okay, I can solve this. Not going up to the sixth why. Yeah. And, like I would have spent, I spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars on these different consultants when if we would have gone up and been like, okay, that would have been an hour long conversation and we would have gone fixed it in his foot, not the shoulder. Right. Wow. And, and that's, that's, I think the biggest mistakes I've made, which aren't, it's not that clear, right? That's the, that's the hard thing. And I think that's where true executive talent comes into play is assessing that thing that's holding us back and being like, Oh, there's a problem in sales. Actually, no, we have a problem in customer support. We don't have kept customers renewing because of this and this. And then it's actually the development team is going to fix this, not the sales team. Right. Wow. And you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. That's you're, you're working with a system, right. That all is impacting each other. And it's, it's have the, your breadth of that system and knowledge of it which can really make the difference. And I think that's the true job of the executive, the leader is to figure all that out and, and keep asking that question. And then you solve it and then you go back, okay, what's holding us back now? Ah, something new. There's always something new. Surprise. Come on, man. If you're listening to this, this is so helpful. Like I'm already thinking about this through my business, right? Like what is the thing that's holding us back? What do we need to go do? What asking why six times? Like yeah. this is so helpful. So helpful. Um, I think that actually came from like Toyota. If I, if I, if I, my brain is not functioning as well as it could right now, but six I think, Sigma, are you talking about, is it the six Sigma that, that, that maybe I think the so. they did the different belts. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And it was around that their, their innovation on the factory line and how they, I yeah, think you're right. They, so they would, I believe Kaizen events came from that. Um, a Kaizen event is where you say, okay, whatever we were doing, we're just actually stopping that. We're going to look at the requirements and design from scratch on this area. And I think that's, you know, a, a very in line with what I'm proposing. For sure. You know, that's exciting. All right, my friend, this has been so, uh, man, you've got my brain. You're doing the iconoclast thing to me. Man. You, right. You're challenging my paradigms. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, so let me ask you this. If, if, if you could, um, at this point in your business, if you could wave your magic wand at a problem and make that problem go away, what's the thing you're pointing at right now? If you're in massive growth, you're hiring a bunch of people, 
is culture a challenge when you hire that many people at this rate is uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm just curious. You, okay. So what, what's holding us back now? I can tell you exactly what it is because I'm working on it right now. Cool. And, and that's, we've switched to, you know, um, with the pandemic, first off, I would have never let anyone work at home. Right. I, I, ever. I'm like, if you're working at home, you're not working. And then COVID hit and everyone had to work at home and we had a record year of everything. And I'm like, Oh, all right. No one wants to come back. I'm like, okay, this is kind of working. Do you guys want to come back? Everyone's like, no, no, no. <laughs> um, so I'm like, all right, well, if you don't want to come back, I'm going to get a beach house. So I'm in my beach house in ocean city, Maryland. And I love it. And I'm like, all right, now we got to figure out how to work. So we have to, um, you know, the, the, to me, the, I have any company has that top 20% performers. And then you have this 70% who are, these people will work hard if you look after them. Right. Yeah, and yeah. then you have 10% who are just drifters. They're in the wrong company, the wrong position. They, they should not be there and they should be leading. Right. And to me, what we're missing now is the is switching from this concept of hours and a physical office to deliverables and measuring this and then helping people measure their own success. My top 20, you don't have to worry about them. They're just going to, they're, they're, they're passionate, right? They're pat, they have the passion, but that 70% wow, you've got to set up the framework to measure those. But I can tell you, I think this change is permanent. I've done two videos on it, Drew, where um, we are hiring right now people from other companies who are coming to us because um, we, are, we are a digital company and, we're, and we're, gonna, we're gonna remain that way. We're gonna have probably two days a year. We're gonna get everyone in the company together. So culture in the company will be divided almost on, decided on two days. Wow. Uh, a year, which I'm like having a heart attack. I'm like, how can I make a culture of that? But um, yeah, no, th these are the new challenges. And, and so I think that I'm struggling with that um, as a lot of leaders are right. Um, who want, there's a lot of CEOs that are like, I just want it the way it was. I just want it the way it was before COVID. Please let's just go back. It ain't none happening. Yeah. Um, the workers aren't doing it. They're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> School's out for summer and they're not coming back to school, right? It's, this is a permanent change. Yeah. Um, if, if you try to force your, what's going to happen is companies who go hardcore on this and try to force their people back, their top performers are going to leave. They're leave. They're going to leave. And then they're not going to have the talent they want. And so. Oh man. So is the agile method, the kind of scrum methodology, is that a way that you guys are, are able to look at more, performance uh yes. accountability versus yes. productivity. it's agile across the whole it's agile in marketing now drew yeah it, it's agile in uh tra in training it's agile in every department of the company absolutely what are we doing in the next two weeks yep. what are the two weeks goals what are absolutely that, that and then and then measuring hey i don't measure when you get here at eight o'clock and leave at five i measure you know how many words did you write how many lines of code did you do how many tickets did you answer yeah how many how many uh leads did you follow up on right so it's it's okay it's actually okay and, and in a lot of ways i think it's way better because there's such a there's such a i had such a big misconception like walking around the office you know looking after everyone and they're looking at their computer like everyone was working hard no that person's on facebook they're talking <laughs> they're instagramming their friends and nothing to do with anything so there was just this, this this enormous illusion 
that because people were there and dressed nice or whatever, they were working hard. And it, it, it cuts through all that, right? And, and I think too, like there was lots of things I was doing, like I call it kind of corporate pageantry where I would like, I want to be there at eight because I want to be the first one in and the last guy leaving and all that and like show the example, right? And, and I don't work that way, right? I get up at 5 a.m. most of the days. And if I'm doing really intense creative and design work, I get up at 3 a.m. And, and I work till like um, 10 and then I try to exercise during the day and then take a, take a break and then I'll follow up my email at night. So I, I, I work probably about 10 to 12 hours a day, but I don't work nine to five like that and take a lunch break. I don't even eat lunch, right? So, you know, I think these type of things are really wonderful uh, for, for people and including myself, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing too for the leaders if, they, if you can get on board. Yeah, man. That is that is fascinating. Um, I'm going to stop there. We need to get into the lightning round questions. I was, I was okay. about to open up a whole other can of worms. Okay. I, I love talking with you, my man. Uh, all right, let's get to our lightning round questions. Number okay. one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? Okay, we exist for one reason and for one reason only and never forget it. And it's not so Tony can have a big boat or anything like that. It's to serve the customer. We are here to serve the customer. Do not forget it. And be, when you, we see it from their point of view, all goodness comes. Love it. Question number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what is the worst? The best advice I has is, is to use my own product. And the worst advice I had is to not question the six whys deep, not apply the iconoclast formula to broken processes. Love it. Okay. Number three, what causes you the most worry or stress leading your organization currently? Um, but so again, what causes me the most worry is not having an answer to the, to the obvious, um, the, to the answer the, my job is to answer the question, what's holding the business back and how do I, you know, um, solve that. So it's not knowing that answer to that question at that time. Yep. Got it. All right. Question number four, we've already, we've already touched on, but still I want to ask, what is your BHAG? I know that you like the execution focus, but when you are thinking big picture, when you are looking up as a visionary, where do you imagine this thing going? All right. Well, officially I am against BHAGs, but my, um, my vision, I want to be 3000 customers by 2025. Got it. I love it. We tainted you by making you answer that question. Yeah, but it, that is not a B hack. That is not a B hack. <laughs> All right. Number five. If you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by. When would you go back and what would it be? I think it would be be more generous to my uh, performing employees, trust in paying them market comp. When you have the, the, that 20% is so coveted, they're so wonderful, and it really hurt when they left for, for higher paying jobs. I should have paid them more. Sure, sure. Love it. Well, Tony, man, this has been so fun. You are you are the iconoclast, and we need right, that voice right now. Don't forget my rap video, Drew. You got to promote my rap video. Let's go. Tell us, tell us again where we, where we find it on YouTube. Okay, you just go on to YouTube and type in TZ Money. That's my rapper handle, but I'm the first ever – accounting rapper, which I've, I've tried to apply the iconoclast formula. So check out my rap video. Maybe you can post the, 
the link in uh, the vlog or for sure, interview. for sure. And then tell us again what is give me the a like. give me a like, you know? Yeah, that's right. And then tell us again what's the name of um of the book, and I'm assuming they could search for it on Amazon. Yeah, it's it's I call it Iconoclasm, the survival guide in the post-pandemic economy. And you can search iconoclasmbook.com or go to tonyzork.com and Love find it. it right there. Awesome. Well, my man, thank you so much for making time to be here today, for sharing your wisdom with us. My mind is going in all sorts of good directions, and I know our listeners are as well. So thank you so much, Tony. All right, Drew, thank you. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results. 